all right, all right. I'm Joe Turner, and this is the City Manager Unfiltered Podcast, a podcast for city managers and other public sector executives. I'm really intrigued by this conversation we're going to have today with Amanda Mack. She's the Watertown, South Dakota city manager. And the reason why she's on the show today is to talk about her experience as the first ever city manager for Watertown. She's going to talk about the challenges and the positive experiences one faces when uh, being the first ever city manager in that type of environment. And uh, Amanda, before we get into your experience with Watertown, why don't you give us a little background on your career in the public sector and how you got to Watertown and, and we'll go from there. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here, and I'm pretty excited to visit with you a little bit today. I started my career sort of in an untraditional fashion. I worked in electoral politics for about 10 years. Um, I did campaign management and fundraising and issue organizing. And after I'd gotten married and uh, we decided we wanted to start a family, I thought, well, maybe I should get into something that's a little more stable. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> and, wrong. Uh, wrong, Amanda. Right, right? Something with, you know, a little little better hours, maybe yeah. a little less travel. <laughs> and here I landed 10 years later. Um, but I started uh, my city management career in a pretty small town just outside of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Worthing, about 800 people in a true bedroom community. And so I learned a lot there. And then I moved on to Canton, South Dakota, which is about 3,500 people. Um, and then my husband and kids and I moved over to Spencer, Iowa, which if you're familiar with Iowa is right at the Iowa Great Lakes, Okaboji area. Uh, we spent about four years there. And then the Watertown opportunity came up. And my husband actually grew up seven miles from Watertown. His family farm is still here. And of course, for that reason, it was a great opportunity, but also just a phenomenal opportunity to be the first city manager um, professionally. It was a great step forward. You know, it was about double the size of the last community that I was in. And so we made a run for it. And now I'm uh, in my third year. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, you know, I was looking at your resume and I saw when you went down to Iowa, you seem to be more of a South Dakota focus, right? With the Mm -hmm. the previous gigs. Was that stint down in Iowa? Was that a career move progression? Because it was a pretty good size uh, up as far as organization size Mm -hmm. when you left the uh, your South Dakota community in Canton. Uh, Was that primarily a professional development uh, move to go down to Iowa and take that position? It really was. And, And we had no family in that area. I'm from Iowa originally, but further further south than northwest Iowa. And it, it really was a pretty good jump from Canton, which was about 3,500, like I said, to about 12,000. Um, but I knew that if I wanted to move on to a larger community or something like a, like a Watertown, which had been talking for years about hiring a city manager, there were things that I just wasn't going to be able to learn or experience or do in a community the size of Canton. And so- yep. That yeah, I mean, it really was a strategic career move. We loved the community. That's uh, you know, we were there about four years, made yeah. some lifelong friends, and and got to have some really great experiences there. Um, and then when the time was right, we were able to make make the move closer to home. Yeah, you know, that's really the blessing and curse of working in a small town because my first two city administrator gigs were in small town Kansas, and you get that hands on experience of basically having to be involved in everything. Yeah. But it's also very limiting because it's small town, and you don't you know you don't have access to some of the larger projects or issues that larger communities face. And so, if mm-hmm. you want to grow, 
you have to move. And uh, I've always, I've always wrestled with that aspect of this profession in the sense that uh, you want to be committed to an area, you want to develop these relationships, but uh, especially if you're in the growing phase of your career. And I was a late, uh, I was a late arrival to public sector management, got my first gig after the age of 40. And so I was hell bent on trying to climb aggressively up my professional career arc. And therefore I knew mentally I was only going to be in a couple of positions for a short period of time until I got to an area that I felt more comfortable as far as the compensation level, the level of responsibility that I was seeking out for myself. Mm -hmm. So when Watertown opens up for you, it almost seemed in a way, almost like it was meant to be. Is that, is that, is that something that you were thinking about as a family or? Oh yeah. I mean, we, you know, had been thinking about it, like I said, for quite some time, my husband's whole family is still in this area. And so had followed uh, Watertown pretty closely. It was very serendipitous. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew it was not a given and I did not take anything for granted, but I wanted to do everything that I could to put me in a position to be a strong candidate. Um, and then, you know, the cards fall, fall where they will. Um, but even leading up to the interview for this position, you know, I spent a lot of time in town talking with local leaders and I'd, you know, pop into different organizations and, and just just talk, you know, tell me what I, what you think I need to know. And, you know, what's the most important thing in your opinion for the, for a new manager on day one. And so that also helped set a good foundation for, for when I did eventually start here. You know, I wasn't expecting our conversation to take this little bit of a detour, but can we expand mm-hmm. a little bit more on this? Because I think this is something that's very important uh, mm-hmm. and something I'm kind of anal about when I'm interested in an opportunity. You know, my first opportunity, I was I basically lived in the community before I was hired. And mm-hmm. I, I was <laughs> the funny story I tell some people is I actually had the cops called on me because I was a suspicious character in the small town. Like, oh, no, this guy <laughs> walking around. Uh, so, you know, you so you were obviously committed to putting yourself in the best position possible mm-hmm. to be the strongest candidate. Can you just go into a little bit more detail? detail, like what the thinking was, the rationale and, and how just more, just a little more detail on how that came about and how you process that. Well, um, first, I mean, before I even applied and I guess maybe I should give a little, a little history. So, um, you know, Watertown in 2019, the community voted to go to a city manager form of government. So they changed their home rule charter from a mayor council form to a manager council form of government. And they built into their charter that it would take a certain amount of time to transition. And so it wasn't until July of 2021 that the transition was official, okay. if you will. Um, so we were living in Iowa at the time. And, you know, of course, when when the vote happened, we had lots of lots of friends and family reach out. And I had stayed informed and I had reached out to the recruiter early on after the, the community had selected a, a search firm. And, you know, just ask that she keep me informed of, of the process. Like I was very interested. And then I worked with someone directly on my resume. Um, I'd never done that before. Um, you mean you I hired an independent person to I review did. it or? Okay. I did someone to review it and um, help edit. And, you know, cause I'd had a lot of really great experiences up to that point in my career. Um, but I wanted to make sure that I was sharing them in the right way, that they were relevant to what I thought Watertown was looking for. And then, you know, I made it through the screening and uh, made it into the into the finalist round. And I I took two days off of work. It came up two days early before the interviews. And I spent those two days just talking to people. I met with the chamber and the visitors bureau and the school. And we have a nationally acclaimed um, community college 
in our community. I met with the president of that, uh, the Boys and Girls Club, developers, realtors, really anyone who would take the time to talk to me. And it almost um, sounds like you're running a, a campaign operation. If I'm well, so I you know, know. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way uh, until you said that, but I guess, I guess those past experiences <laughs> really did play a role. Um, uh, in it. And, uh, um, and it was fun, man. I had the best time. And that that's part of why I love this work because it's so people centric and, I know after a long day or after some frustrating times, you know, it's easy to say, man, I hate people, but I really don't. I, that's, that's what, what gives me energy and keeps me going. But I felt really prepared um, yeah. going into the interview about what the community needs were. And I felt prepared to ask what I felt were some really good and valid questions of the council, you know, on what their expectations of a manager we're going to be. And you also, I mean, you have to understand too, that the council that interviewed me is not the council that I ended up working for because when they transitioned formally, they went from a 10 member council and a mayor to a seven member body. Oh, I did not body. know that. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was very interesting. And there was a mayoral election um, that happened shortly after I interviewed and, and got hired. So there was a lot, there was a lot of transition all at once. Oh man, but, Amanda, there's, there's so much to unpack in this, this conversation. So, <laughs> it's so much. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, getting back to Watertown's deci- decision mm-hmm. to go to city manager form of government, was that a very fractious or divisive discussion in that community? Because I would imagine if it was, that would have to play some role in your decision of wanting to go there. I mean, I, I read about stories all the time. I just say uh-huh. all the time, but on the regular. In fact, there's one in the news recently that I, I posted about where there's some fractious debates mm-hmm. about going to city manager form of government. And I got to be honest, if I was going to be looking at being a, the fir- a town's first ever city manager, I want to be in a town that is embracing the concept, mm-hmm. not divided over it. So can you speak a little bit too about Watertown's a temperament to the city manager and what that played in your decision-making process? Um, so like I, like I said earlier, this, you know, having a city manager has been a topic of discussion in Watertown for years. And I'm not sure what the actual impetus was for the council to say, hey, we want our home rule commission to come together and talk about this. But, you know, the home rule commission met, I want to say it was in January of 2019. And by March, they'd made a recommendation to the council of the community. The vote happened in June and it passed with almost 70% approval. Um, so that didn't make me nervous at awesome. all. Awesome. Yeah. Um, when I was in Canton, though, that was very contentious. And in the 10 years that, well, roughly 10 years that Canton was a city manager form of government, the community had voted three times if they wanted to keep that. And that's, that's hard. And they no longer have a city manager. Um, they went so back were you the to, last one? Were you the last was, manager there? So you're the last there and the first here. Huh? I, don't, I don't know what that means for me. That may, <laughs> I don't know. Um, That's awesome. That was a factor in in my thought process was I certainly don't – I don't want to be in a community again where – well, how do I say this? As a city manager, I mean, your job is kind of always on the line. You're at, yes. you, you know, you serve at the pleasure of the elected officials. Absolutely. But I didn't want to add additional uh, stress to that, knowing that the community itself was maybe on the fence about what this job means or what it does and, and what that looks like. And the Charter Commission here also did it right when they amended the charter 
you know, the next review doesn't happen until 2027. Okay. So they put some real time in there to get through some some actual transition, right? It's yeah, one you- thing to elect new officials, to hire a manager, to have on paper, here's what the mayor does, here's what the manager does. But until you are in it and operating in it, you don't really know what a transition looks like. Yeah, it sounds like they really did a lot of thought behind. A lot of, there's a lot did. of thought and forethought mm-hmm. in this whole process, and I'm sure that gives you some comfort as well. And it does. You know, it's one thing to have a situation where there's a divisive council or divisive public sentiment over the city manager, because obviously you're already kind of like starting at a deficit with you know um, that you got to work on. Uh, but when you have the governing body seemingly in support in the community, I just think that makes things go a lot easier. But you know, here's I the agree. thing. But here's the thing, you know, because in my experience, I haven't been the first city manager in organizations, but I've been sort of the first city administrator manager after a multi-year absence of having a manager, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So Mm -hmm. um, small town community where they had city administrators and they were gone for three years, coincidentally, in both communities. And when you come back into that situation, it's extremely challenging just to be in that situation, let alone to be the first ever city manager in a community of your size that you're in around 27, 25,000 people or something mm-hmm. like that you know um you have issues with the governing body not really knowing the roles or differentiating the roles of the of the governing body versus a, an executive you have staffing challenges because they're used to talking directly to a, a commission member or a member of the council or they're or going they're not used to having this intermediary or a buffer and they want that straight line uh direct access to communication so sometimes the governing body can overstep Outside of the connection to family and the proximity and so forth and so on, there still had to be some trepidation or some fears on your part of becoming the first ever city manager in a community that didn't really know what a city manager was or did, right? So what what kind of fears or concerns do you have going in and, and how did you sort of reconcile those before you made the final decision to accept the position? Well, I, I will say that reconciling it became very easy after I spent time, intentional time. Um, in the community preparing for the interview. Okay. Um, After doing that and hearing what the community members and then later on through the interview process, the council, what their expectations were of a, of a new manager, I knew that that, that was well within my wheelhouse. I'm a relationship builder by nature. I'm a galvanizer by nature. If you know anything about uh, the um, six types of working geniuses. I'm a galvanizer and an enabler. Okay. And that is that is what we have needed. It's to bring people together. There was a lot of, and there still are, there's some cultural issues within the organization. Um, making sure people are empowered to do the jobs that we hired them to do. Making sure that we're supporting them in the right way and giving them the tools to be successful. The the council understanding what that, what that looks like and, and being supportive of it. And so I like I said, after spending time visiting with a whole variety of people across sectors of the community, I felt like it was a challenge that I was up to. And I knew it was going to be difficult um, because not only do you have staff and you have elected officials, but you have an entire community who has no idea uh, what a city manager form of government looks like yep. uh, as it operates. You know, I think in theory, everyone everyone's a, you know, a, a generalization, but you know, people get it right. Like it's supposed right. to operate like a private business. It's a CEO board of directors model. And that works really great until your garbage doesn't get picked up and you call 
Councilman X and they say, well, let me talk to the city manager instead of, oh, I'll just call the garbage driver. Um, And then it becomes real for people what that actually looks like. And it requires the most amount of grace you can give uh, in any given day. Well, when you say grace, Amanda, I, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I think of grace in the context of, and maybe I'm wrong about this, because I think one of the problems, I, or one of the things I find really frustrating about government today and the public sector, and I'm not sure if we're talking about the same thing with respect to grace, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on this, but mm-hmm. there seems to be this proclivity to assume the worst of the other person, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when you talk about grace, are you talking about assuming the best and giving people the benefit of the doubt on that? Or what Absolutely. do you mean when you about grace? That That is exactly what I mean. I um, So grace is a personal core value of mine. We just went through about a month ago with with council and leadership team and established our vision, mission, and values. And grace is a, an organizational value. I have a, a mantra that has stuck with me since I worked in politics. You start where people are at, not where you want them to be. Um, and I have found that when I, I find myself getting frustrated or really worked up about something, if I really think about it, it's because I'm putting people where I want them to be and not where they're at. And that applies to elected officials, to my staff, and to um, the people that we serve in the community. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that um, because I, 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 I work for an individual now who talks about changing the organization, about how we can only change the organization as fast as the organization is capable of changing. And I think yes. sometimes <laughs> uh, we as administrators and managers, our frustration kind of is what you're talking about, right? We, we want to get from point A to point B we just want to be on point B. <laughs> I mean, I, like I'm trying to get to point B and try to get to the result and it can get a little frustrating because you're wondering why mm-hmm. it's taking so long to get there. I think that's something that when you look at the tenor and tone of the public sector discussions that are going on with respect to the community, the governing body, and even ourselves, I think we all need to be better about giving grace to others, right? And not assuming mm-hmm. the worst and, and sort of being a little more patient and taking a step back and having, a, you know, taking a beat, right? And be like, right. hey, okay, is this really a, a bad actor here? Or is this just a situation of miscommunication or misunderstanding, you know? And I think that when it comes to going into, as a new city First of all, when you have a, a city manager system of government, right, this new form of government, and you have this new person who's coming in as well, I, I got to imagine that communication is an essential function of what you do on a daily basis. And I mean, it's like, can you, how, do you, how do you use communication to sort of smooth that process? Well, I <laughs> sometimes I don't think I do it very well, uh, to be <laughs> honest, because you know, if you go back to where people are at, not where you want them to be. And, I, you know, sometimes the things that we're dealing with, and I think, God, haven't we talked about? Like, I'm just screaming into the void sometimes, right. but that's our job. You know, we have to just keep reinforcing the message and, and every day trying to be incrementally better than we were before. I have a, a you know, we talk a lot about excellence over perfection and that that's really what we need to be striving for. And and that includes in how we communicate. Um, I mentioned that we did our vision, mission and values. We spent two and a half days um, as a council and leadership team in, in a retreat just about a month ago. And, and one of our whole sessions was around communication and communication gets thrown around a lot. It sure does. Um, but it's hard to quantify. It really what is. What that looks like. Like, well, you need to communicate better. 
well, tell me how, because I'm texting, I'm calling, I'm emailing, I'm Facebooking, I'm Snapchatting, I'm yeah. what, what can PSAs, I do, right? I'm on the radio. Um, so, you know, we spent a lot of time and we'll see in our organization over the next month, some intentional changes to communication. And that includes our meeting structures and how we tie our own work plans to the council meetings. And that might seem pretty elementary to some of the managers listening, but I'm the first manager they've ever had that they've never operated this way before. And our job as staff at the end of the day is to take the council's vision and make it a reality. And so if what we are doing is not tied to the council's vision, then we need to stop doing it. And that is hard too, because for so long, and and I don't want to, I wasn't here under, you know, the old form of government. I wasn't here under previous mayors and administrations. So I don't want to be disparaging to them. But what I hear is that, you know, there weren't a lot of systems. There was a lot of siloed work going on. Uh And that has really lent to you know, challenges just within the community itself, being able to grow, being able to address not only ongoing, but new new issues and needs as they come up. And I can say without a doubt that we are an infinitely better organization today than we were two years ago. And that isn't that's not necessarily an indictment. me. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's not, not an indictment, indictment yeah. and it's not saying I I am the best. It's that collectively as a team, both the council and my my staff have said, we got to get this right. Right. Uh, getting it right doesn't mean we haven't messed up and we haven't faltered and we haven't had frustrations. But if our eye is on excellence, then that's what we're working towards. Yeah. And you know, Amanda, you talked about something about implementing the vision of the governing body. And I think mm-hmm. something that's very frustrating for a lot of our peers, including myself in previous positions, is that you have governing bodies that oftentimes are unable to communicate what that vision is, or yeah. <laughs> they communicate the vision to you one week, and then a month later, they want you to, to pivot and change course and go down a different road. In fact, one of our colleagues, uh, Howard Chan, the Sacramento, California city manager, mm-hmm. Uh, I know he's had some frustrations just reading in the newspaper uh, and I posted about it on my LinkedIn because he basically took his governing body down to a basement somewhere, <laughs> like literally not joking and basically uh-huh. said, Hey, give me your three things that you want me to focus on. And he took some heat in it and the local press who didn't really quite understand and thought he was being you know, a dictator, but he's like, you know, give me the things that you want me to work on so I can be mm-hmm. held accountable for those things. But this idea that you're going to tell me today, you want me to do the X, Y, and Z. And then a month later I'm doing a, B and C, like that's not going to work. It's not productive. And you know, it's like, it's this constant thing. We talk about communication, right? Cause I can tell you like in all the months and you know, the year plus that I've been posting on LinkedIn, that the most common thing, Thing I see for friction between the governing body and its executive manager is this, you know, nebulous idea that there's a communication problem. And mm-hmm. I don't, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's a cop out. Sometimes I wonder if it's, you know, just a bunch of BS on the part of some of the governing body members who want to, you know, ch- you want to cite that because they don't want to be held accountable for some of their issues. But it's imperative that we communicate. But it can be very frustrating because, like you said. I've done the I've done the the weekly or biweekly email reports, right? If I was ever working on X, Y, and Z, I, I've sent out the agenda ahead of time, and you know, sometimes I get ambushed at the council meeting on a question or what have you. It's like you know, I've gone on to the local newspapers or the local radio shows and done all that stuff. I've been out in the community, so it's like you know, what is this communication issue, and why do we keep on having it? You know, yeah. And I, and it's sometimes I think people 
maybe both sides, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to take a side of our peers. And I, sometimes I think the governing body plays a little fast and loose with quote unquote communication issues when it comes to their, their executives, because we as executives, we want to be clear. We want to be concise. We want the feedback because that makes our job infinitely easier, right? Absolutely. Well, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said and I've worked with, you know, I've been in four communities now. And so almost 10 different councils through elections and, you know, communication is, it's sort of a buzzword, if you will. Um, but and, there's and, also, and I want to interrupt you yeah. to a minute and I'm not trying to put you on the spot with your current governing body, but no, I mean, no. you worked in politics, which is all about uh-huh. communications and communicating ideas. So it's like, you know, it's like, I think you know how to, I think you know how to communicate. I'm pretty sure about it. And I've listened well. to your, <laughs> I've listened to your radio show spots cause you do them on a weekly basis. Uh-huh. And I, and I know you can be clear and you can be direct and there's, it's not a lot of ambiguity in what you say. I've, I've listened to some of those uh, recordings. <laughs> well, and. I, I think maybe even just last week on the radio, and this is, I mean, this is for all of us, right? Not just the elected officials, but staff and the public, right? Like communication goes both ways. So you got you to gotta be receiving what you're being told. But especially for the public, there is a level of personal responsibility that goes into being an engaged community member. I'm sorry, what? Did you say personal it, level responsibility or something? Yeah, like there is a, a level of personal <laughs> responsibility. I know, right? Um, you know, if you want to know what's going on, you have multiple avenues to, to find out. And just because a decision is being made or a decision has been made that, that you didn't personally know about doesn't mean it hasn't been talked about. Right. And that's where we as appointed officials and elected officials have to get better at calling that out also. I've, I've had elected officials who, you know, we'll get to the end of, of an issue and Two weeks later, somebody's complaining on Facebook or there's a letter to the editor or whatever. And, well, maybe we could have been more transparent. Well, you tell me how, because we've done the public meetings, we've advertised, we've put PSAs out, what's on our social media. If there's a different way, then yeah, let's do it. That's kind of like the uh, the customer is always right type thing, right? right and it's right. like, no, the customer is not always right. Sometimes the customer is wrong. I'm sorry. I yeah. know it's politically incorrect to say, but this is city manager unfiltered, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's like, you know, not every citizen is up to speed on what's going on. And I don't know really any city manager that comes to work on a daily basis thinking, you know what? How can I slip this one by the residents today? You know what I mean? No. That's just not the rationale. Because, because it at the end of the hassle. day, it's going to be exactly yeah. going to be... <laughs> 15 times more work than I have time or energy for. So. Exactly right. Exactly but right. I will, I will say that doesn't mean that I always get it right. I know sure. that. I sure. mean, but that's also, I think, part of being a good leader is recognizing where you can improve also. And I've always been growth minded. How do I grow as, as a leader, as a person, as a friend, as a wife, as a mom? And, and I think that that has that mentality or that perspective has suited me well in my career also. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about communication and what have you, and we, we alluded to it because I see, uh, I do my religious daily scans of city manager news across the country. And uh-huh. so Amanda, I see you on a weekly or near weekly basis. You pop up in my feed because you go onto a local radio show and you have a, um, a standard sort of standing meeting where you have a, a report that you give to the, the host and what have uh-huh. you. And I know you, I know you go about that very religiously. And in fact, back in August or so, you were kind of coming full circle in this conversation 
you were um, very assertive uh, on some complaints that you were receiving. I guess there was anonymous letter or emails going around saying that supposedly you as a city manager was discouraging staff from talking to elected officials or trying to prevent that from happening. And this is a classic thing that really frustrates the hell out of me as a public sector executive. I think a lot of our peers, we will go in and we will tell staff, hey, if you're going to have a conversation with elected officials, you need to keep us in the loop on what is being conversed on. No one's saying that you can't have a conversation. No one's saying you can't talk to an elected official. No one is ever telling an elected official you can't go in and talk to staff. What we're simply saying is as, as the executives running this organization, we need to be in the loop on the meaningful conversations that are being had. Obviously, putting aside giving directives, which should never happen and all that mm -hmm. other stuff. But can you speak to that a little bit? Because is, is that one? Of, I, I know this is a challenge yeah. we all face in many communities, but I can't imagine what it's like. <laughs> like to be in a new community where a city manager is a new concept. Well, I, so that was the exact issue. And I, I will say, if you're ever going to be the first manager in a community, there certainly is a honeymoon period. And I would say it's about 18 to 24 months. And then once you hit that, all gloves are off, right? And that's <laughs> sort of where we were at in August. I'm a grown up. I've been dealing with the public for 20 plus years. I know that not every decision I make is going to make people happy, but I do the best I can with what I have in front of me and let the chips fall where they may. But this this whole idea of uh, anonymous comments, and for me, it it really only comes into play at the radio station. And and I I love going. It's it's fun. The news director's a great a great guy. They're very community minded, but you know, we'll get these questions that, that people won't put their name to. And you know they're coming from a disgruntled former employee, someone who currently works at the city, who doesn't want to follow the proper protocols to address their concerns. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, things like that. And you can't do that at a council meeting. You got to sign in. You got to say your name. I'm, I'm Joe Smith and I live on 4th Avenue. You can't do that with the newspaper. Uh, you get, you know, you can't yep. submit a letter to the editor without putting your name down. Um, even on, you know, Facebook and social media, there's at least a name attached yeah. to it. And so that was part of my frustration is if, if you are going to be so cowardly and I got the same email actually, cause they sent it through the city's, um, automated, okay. ask a question and it was all anonymous. There was no contract information. I mean, if you're going to be so cowardly as to throw, barbs like that well frankly i don't have time to address it to me that that is silly i love the fact that you use the word cowardly again in this interview because you use mm -hmm. that on the actual radio mm -hmm. broadcast and i thought that was a pretty strong word and one that i'm not sure a lot of managers feel comfortable using because i think a lot of managers <laughs> are don't tend to be as assertive or aggressive as you or myself but mm -hmm. i mean you know this kind of like this is kind of a little bit of a detour you know you know you being a female city manager this is something that kind of fascinates me because i have an aggressive assertive tone persona like i i i have no qualms i have no qualms being face to face with somebody and explaining where i stand and, and supporting it right mm -hmm. um, but we constantly hear and i don't think this is means that it's trumped up or that's not legitimate but we often hear about how women are held to different standards when it comes to being assertive or aggressive as executives. I was wondering, do you have any experiences with that or thoughts on that? Or what has been your kind of, um, uh, I guess, experience along those lines as a public mm -hmm. sector executive? Well, I, yeah, I would, I agree. I think there are because some you are assertive. different I mean, standards. You, I'm you assertive, assertive when I need to be. Okay. Um, yeah. I, uh, I don't love confrontation at all. 
it's probably my least favorite thing. I truly believe in giving people the right tools, empowering them, letting them do what they need to do and not interfering. Um, I'd much rather have employees that I have to rein in than I have to push. Um, but, but when it comes down to it, I am the boss and I have to make decisions, but right, wrong, or indifferent, there are different expectations on men and women and how they communicate their assertiveness. I was part of a discussion with some elected officials and one of my staff members, um, and it got pretty heated and I was heated and my staff member was heated and the council was heated. And I was told later that I came across as unprofessional and I needed to really check that, which I probably was. And I will, I will admit that. Yeah. Yeah. But in the same breath, and they're talking about my, my staff person who is a male, man, I've never seen him like that before. I hope he doesn't leave. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You know, he's saying the exact same things that I'm saying, like he and I are saying the same thing. And so I thought, well, okay, well, I'll, I'll just be mindful of that. You know, when it comes to men and women, I have been fortunate. I, I don't know that I've ever intentionally been discriminated against because of my gender. I've never felt that even when I worked in politics. I think sometimes, uh, and this is where grace comes in, right? I think sometimes people say things that they don't intend to be disrespectful or to that extent, but they are. Um, Right. You know, another anonymous comment that came to the radio station, this wasn't long after I started, was about uh, my kids being at City Hall. Um, My kids are nine and 11 and their school is a block from city hall. And every once in a while they'll walk here after school. And Uh there are some people who don't like that. Someone asked a question about what's the policy on the city manager's kids being at the office. And Uh, that was not a good day for me. I'm not going to lie because then I called my whole staff together and I said, look, you're either on the team or you're not. And I'm not doing this. If you got an issue, you need to come talk to me. If my kids are being loud, if they're being disrespectful, which they're not, City Hall is their favorite place. They love everybody who works in this building. I don't have them here if I'm having meetings. I don't have them here if it's an inappropriate time. But I don't get to see my kids very often. Right. And then on, a, go ahead. I, I just remember this because that night on LinkedIn, a male peer in a different community in a different state was being um, celebrated for having his kids come to the office. And uh, that one that one really stuck out to me. Like, you can say what you want about me, but you don't get to mess with my kids. Yeah. So. And, I, you know, when, you, when you're at the Saturday pancake breakfast or the, uh, mm-hmm. right, or you're at the evening council meeting or workshops right. or, or the early morning chamber luncheons, mm-hmm. right, and you can't, or change, yep. chamber breakfasts or whatnot, no one's talking about you being without your kids then, right? But then you bring right. your kids to, yeah, that's yeah. A, a low blow. I can understand how frustrating yeah. that is. And that's one of the challenges I think that traditionally women face and, and that men don't, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, men, generally speaking, we have the ability, or at least we've traditionally had the ability to, of not really having to handle that responsibility in the workplace, right? It's men can yeah. usually men have been able to sort of dedicate hundred percent of their time to work, right? While mm-hmm. uh, the spout, the you know, the wife takes care of the the kid aspect while juggling the career, and, yes. and then like, and then it's kind of funny, you know. 
Uh, my wife will show me her favorite Instagram memes all the time about how, you know, men get celebrated for just the basic things. Like, you know, <laughs> she, she loves her Instagram. So like, you know, like, so when a man, when a man does the dishes one night, all of a sudden he's like, you know, king for a day, but it's like, you know, this over celebratory uh, act towards the the men for doing the basic things at home while women yep. are been juggling this stuff for, for, for eons. So well, to be fair, we kind of do it to ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I, true. That, yes. I, have, I have two boys and there are t- I'm like, oh, good job. I'm like, no, you, <laughs> like you cleaned up your stuff. Like you should, that's normal. That's what you should be doing. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you you uh, are a frequent, uh, you make frequent appearances on your radio show or mm-hmm. the radio show and you're interviewed. Yep. Has that, have you run into any sort of buzzsaws by being so out there in terms of having those conversations? I mean, I'm sure it's been a net benefit, but you know, we live in such a hyper politicize everything sort of everyone's everybody's offended about something or they want yeah. to take something and twist it and turn it has that been used against you in any way or do you have second um, thoughts about doing being out there so, so you're out there a lot quite a bit I, I am so i do a weekly radio program with one station and then the other station in town i do um the day after our council meeting so i do six radio programs a month and used against me no i i haven't felt that but i have questioned I go back and forth because I, I think it's great to be out there and be sharing what we're doing with the community, but especially because this form of government is so new, I'm afraid that we're also giving legs and giving life to things that don't need legs or life, particularly around employee issues, if I'm being honest. Okay. Um, and it, that hasn't happened so much you know, lately, but when I first started, there'd be a lot of questions about, well, is this person still working there? Or, um, I heard that, you know, this is going on at city hall and I'm not going to talk about that stuff because it's not fair game anymore. Like it used to be. And there are some things that are pretty innocuous that we're doing. You know, I'd like to just do my job. I'd like to just show up and get through a day. and, And I know my staff will would love that as well. Um, but sometimes we'll get questions. Well, I heard that this development is delayed because they couldn't get their permits on time. Yeah. Everyone heard. Everyone heard. They all heard. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes I wonder if too much accessibility hurts us, um, simply because we're always responding yes. rather than being able to be proactive. It's always in a reaction. Yeah. You're always in a reactionary state, right? Or defensive right. state. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, I like to think I'm a pretty smart person, but I don't know everything there is to know about everything on any given day. And I'll get questions sometimes where I'm like, I don't, I have no idea. I don't even know where that road is at. Right? Like, <laughs> I gotta go, I gotta go drive it, you know, or they'll, somebody will call into the radio program. What about the weeds over here? I have no idea. I got, yeah. And so I also don't want to put the city in a position where people think that the manager doesn't know anything or doesn't know what's going on because that's not that's not an ego thing. That's a confidence in in your government. Right. Um, but one one thing that we're doing um, starting in January or as soon as we can get someone hired that I think will help with the communication piece is we are adding a public information officer okay. to our team. Um, that'll be a brand new a brand new role and they won't do the radio program. I'll still do it. The mayor pops in the deputy mayor every once in a while, but being able to tell better stories about the work that we're doing, whether it's just a simple road project or it's our ice arena to keep people informed in different ways. I I think 
allows us to focus on, you know, the 85% who think we're doing a good job and, you know, leave the 15% who aren't going to be happy with anything that we do. You know, I'm glad you said that, Amanda, because sometimes I think we spend too much time in government trying to appease the people who are are never going to be appeased. And yeah. who just want to complain just for the sake of complaining. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've also, as the years progress, I'm becoming more and more jaded when it comes to um, social media, especially Facebook communication and whatnot. And I've actually been trying to start to push the narrative that maybe governments need to rethink whether or not we even should be having Facebook pages where we have this, <laughs> this two-way communication, right? And so forth yeah. and so on. Well, especially given some of the stuff in front of the Supreme Court now. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's, a, that's a real, I've, I've, I've read your stuff on that. So well, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm very, yeah. um, very cognizant. I always appreciate that. it when a guest gives me an opportunity to bring up James Free, but I'll just leave <laughs> it at that. So <laughs> I, it's scary stuff. I mean, I'd, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, those two way communication things, sometimes I feel like it's almost become like these empty calories like this. You know, we've gotten used to it as government agencies of, oh, we can just push this message out on Facebook because it's so easy. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm not sure that that's really the best way to be operating. And I'm not sure it's really the most conducive to actually having healthy civic discussions and dialogues and so forth and so on. I wasn't sure what your thoughts were on that. If you, you don't have to comment if you don't want to, but I'm just kind of curious what your take is on Facebook and the, in the larger scheme of things. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's an important tool, but it's not the only tool. And going back to my political campaign days, you know, mailers are very effective. Phone calls are very effective, but the most effective way to communicate with a potential voter is face to face. Yes. The most effective way to communicate with a resident of your community is face to face. Yep. It's not through email. It's not through phone calls. Now that gets difficult when you know we got a community of twenty four thousand people. Yeah, you're not walking door to door as a city manager. That's for it, sure. Exactly. Obviously. But we certainly can do more and do it differently and better. You know, maybe it's town hall meetings. Maybe it's uh, open houses at the start of a construction season to lay out all of our projects and timelines. Um, people really resonate with that, and it gives them a sense of ownership and what's happening in their community. Um, so I think that, you know, podcasts, I would love to have a city of Watertown podcast, but I am technologically inept. So I will not be the one creating that. Uh, the mayor and I, when I first started, we did a, like a Facebook live once a month called Watertown on Wednesdays. And it was great. It was almost like a Kathy Lee and Regis type thing, but then, you know, schedules just got crazy. And, and I, I think we should bring that back. You know, I think we should have ways to share information largely because we also don't like we have a local newspaper but it is published not here i mean we don't have we have one local reporter i believe and they cover sports okay And, and so the traditional way that people are getting their news has changed has changed dramatically and if they're just getting it from facebook Oh, God. Well, that does yeah. not make for an informed electorate. I would I would echo that for sure, 100%. <laughs> you know? And I will tell you, now that you're hiring a PIO, that's probably good because this uh, podcasting business is a quasi full-time job. <laughs> I bet. Except I bet I'm not is. getting paid for it. So, <laughs> 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 But you know, um, getting back to you being a first-time um, city manager, I'm kind of curious about this aspect of, of mm-hmm. your job. Do you take 
any particular significance or reverence to the idea that you are being the first person in this organization, in this role, and that you're sort of modeling things that uh, either good or bad behaviors or practices. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because obviously I'm sure you want to be there for a long time, right? You said your husband's family's there yep. and whatnot. I'm, I know you have no desire to leave, but we all know that things can change on a dime in this business. Do you give thought and consideration to what you're doing and how that might impact a future successor? I'm just kind of curious about that. I absolutely do. It's a responsibility that I take very seriously. Um, one, professionally, um, because I I believe in the city management profession. I believe in the city manager form of government. But then also personally, because my family is here. I don't want to screw it up. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. want to be an embarrassment to them. But I do talk about with with council and with staff, like we are building systems that hopefully will outlast any one of us. Now, a new manager is going to come in at some point and they're, they're going to change how we do things. New mayor is going to come in, new council is going to come in and they might have different priorities. But the foundational systems that we have in place, the governance policies that we have adopted should be the backbone of our organization. Um that may need tweaking every once in a while. They may, may need a little chiropractic visit, but that really should sustain our our organization and our operations for generations to come. And there are days when I don't feel worthy of that responsibility. Um, it is, it's an honor, even on days that are so hard. And I, I talk about this with my husband, I can't believe they picked me to be their first one. Um, because the opportunity that I've been given, not a lot of people get. And it's hard. It is stupidly hard some days. And it is infinitely harder than I ever imagined it would be. Um, but I get to do the coolest stuff almost every day. And we've got the right people in place um, within our organization to make sure that this is successful, both on the elected official side and on the staff side. If but we just have to remember, too, that um, we're here to serve. It's not about any one of us as individuals. And uh, it's it's hokey, I know, but it is a calling. It, no, me. it's not not, no, not hokey at all, you know, and Amanda. And, and I kind of felt like uh, we're kind of getting to a little bit of a <laughs> emotional part of this conversation yeah. here because, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I find really fascinating about what we do is that we walk this incredible tightrope of having to be extremely confident right? Mm -hmm. Extremely knowledgeable, right? And be able to communicate that and have that gravitas, right? Have that presence mm -hmm. about us while at the same time, maintaining a certain degree of humbleness and reverence like you just talked about and feeling maybe that we're not worthy, right? And um, I know there's days for me where I feel like, man, I feel like there's, I'm, there's nothing I can't do, right? And mm -hmm. there's other days I feel like, God, I feel like the biggest imposter, the biggest scam artist, <laughs> like, you know, I, yes. <laughs> and, and I experienced that even with doing this uh -huh. podcast and then LinkedIn, Amanda, because mm -hmm. like, you know, I've talked about it before. It's like, um, man, what the hell am I doing talking about, uh, talking about being a city manager? I've only been a small town city manager and, mm -hmm. you know, and so forth and so on. But I think we all know and we all juggle with this ourselves, even when you reach the highest levels, like the, the major leagues, so mm -hmm. to speak, uh, you know, of, of being a city manager. And uh, it just fascinates me that we have that we as executives have to have this sort of, I don't know, three dimensional self-awareness in order to be successful. And I think those who are the most self-aware and are cognizant of their strengths and weaknesses 
are the ones that are the most successful. And I think the ones who are not self-aware and are overconfident tend to have the, the biggest problems. At least that's sort of my, yep. my thoughts on it. And that's why, yeah. honestly, I think in many ways, um, and I don't really want to turn this into a male versus female discussion on, on public sector management, but I think oftentimes male and female managers bring the, the opposite strengths and weaknesses of that, just this, this, uh, this sort of, context of what I'm talking about, right? Because I think men tend to be uh, more overconfident than women, generally speaking, if I may be so bold on the generalizations. Mm -hmm. And I think women tend to be a little bit more humble and self-aware and connected to the people aspects of the of the business as well. And I think almost like if we could make like a, a per perfect city manager, it would take the strengths of the, of the traditional male sort of um, uh, personality traits with the female personality traits and make almost like an elite manager. I don't know. It's a, a roundabout way of saying something, but that's sure. how I look at it. Sure. You know? um, well, I, I don't know about that um, because I've experienced working with women who are overly confident and don't know what they're doing. And I've experienced working with men who really should be lauding themselves much more than they are. Um, and I probably would have, lent more to, to what you just described uh, a couple of years ago. And then I, I mentioned the the working genius a little, a little while ago, I discovered it. And what it talks about is, you know, everyone has these different um, traits and characteristics that give them, you know, bring joy to the work that they're doing or frustrate them. And you said this, but but they talk about it in The Working Genius, the best leader is the self-aware leader. So the more you can be aware of who you are, what makes you tick, what you like doing, what you don't like doing, how you communicate with people, where you need to improve, where you're really knocking it out of the park. And the more you can encourage your team around you um, to become self-aware, I, I think it eliminates the judgment that we place on our colleagues male or female, and eliminates the guilt that we have in ourselves for not being good at what we expect people to think that we need to be good at. Right. I get no joy crossing things off of a list. I know that sounds weird. I don't. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. I crossed one thing off. There's 74 other things on this list, right? Like that is just not, that is not fun for me at all. But I have people in my organization where that is where they live and breathe. Like, give it to me. I want to get it across the finish line. Yep. Great. Yep. Then I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to let you do where you find joy. Um, which is very entertaining because I think people assume as a city manager, like you're just sitting your desk all day long and you're just getting stuff done. I don't even have the opportunity to sit at my desk most days. And so that that just isn't how I work. I um I don't know if you've seen some of my posts. I have what I call the tenacity table. So I have this huge table in my office. And when I got to do something that is painful, like putting binders together for a retreat, <laughs> I just tell people, hey, I have to be tenacious right now. And this, I don't know why. It's just, it brings, it doesn't bring me joy at all. But I got to get it done. And so they know to leave me alone and I get my work done and then we move on to the next thing. But giving people opportunities to learn those things about themselves, again, allows us to build an organization that's going to outlive any one of us here. Yeah, um, that's, And that's I a... am really, really passionate about that. 
Yeah, that's such a great point, Amanda. And I think that's a lot. Of, I think a lot of that could be um, something that we could take into our future recruitment set we're in, because I think a lot of times city managers or candidates for city manager positions aren't really doing a good enough job of assessing whether or not that organization is actually complementary to their strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. right? And the fascinating thing, uh, you know, about this business that we're in is that when you look at it across the entire country. Every organization has its own unique personality, issues, strengths, weaknesses, character. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And, you know, and I think a lot of times um, city managers find themselves in an organization that's not really a good match for them, uh, but they rushed into it maybe because they needed the job or whatever the case may be. Right. And, that's why and that's why I also preach a lot about uh, the importance of solid, having solid contracts and having mm-hmm. uh, being protected as city managers because – I don't think people truly look at connecting the dots and looking two or three steps ahead that, you know, when you have a bad contract and then you get bounced out of an organization that puts you in a very precarious position where you might have to accept the next position as not ideal because you need to put yeah. food on the table and so forth and so mm-hmm. on. Um, I was wondering, you know, and I, you know, you're, you're the second female um, city manager I've had in the podcast. Now, the first one was Sarah McGuffin. It's a little frustrating because I do try to get women on the podcast, but women are not as sort of eager or mm-hmm. as aggressive in making the, the outreach or the, in, engaging in the conversations and so forth and so on. And, and it gets a little frustrating to me because I'd like to have more uh, female voices on this podcast. But I'm wondering with respect to city management, aspiring female city managers or uh, female city managers that are looking to grow their career and go from a smaller organization to a larger, larger organization. Do you have any words of wisdom or advice for women? I know it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of hate doing that to people because like, I mean, <laughs> should you be speaking to, you know, on behalf of all women or something like right. that? But no, but, you know, and I don't. My second voice, um. <laughs> but, I mean, do you have any thoughts or I mean, things that you might want to share in that capacity? Cause I know that women listen to my content and I know mm-hmm. they read my posts and I know they're paying attention because uh, I see I get messages and so forth and so on. But I was just kind of wondering if you had any thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to share in that regard. Well, you know, a couple of things come to mind that it's it's okay to not know everything that you think you need to know. Um, but if you're willing to invest in yourself and learn it, um, we took a whole crew um, to the ICMA conference this this fall in Austin. And I brought my executive assistant with me uh, and she's new to the organization. She'll be here a year um, in January. And when we were preparing to go and, you know, looking at all the, all the content, she said, well, what would you suggest that I go to? And my advice to her was, well, do you, do you see this as a long-term career working in government, whether it's as an executive assistant or moving into city management or some, you know, maybe it's HR or finance or, because if it is, then I would advise you differently than if, you know, you're content staying in an executive assistant type role. Maybe you want to move on to another organization in that kind of role. Um, You know, I would advise you differently. And she said, no, no, I I really, I, I think this is a career field I want to be in. So, so, you know, I gave her some advice on some of those sort of early career sessions and, you know, kind of building yourself up. I think women, especially, and I have four brothers, so I feel like I can speak to this because none of them have any confidence issues <laughs> whatsoever. And they're all amazing, but they just go out and do it. And they don't even think twice. Right. I'm like, I don't know, maybe I should do this one or that. And, you know, be willing to just invest in yourself. And that's hard. Um what do you mean by that when you say invest in yourself? What are you talking about? So 
I, when I was with the city of Canton, and I loved Canton. Gosh, we loved Canton. But I knew even there that I did not want to be in Canton forever. Like career-wise, I knew that I wanted to move on to a bigger community at some point. The only way I was going to be able to do that was if I got a master's degree. So I did that while managing two communities because I transitioned over to Spencer. I had two babies. I was working full-time. It is hard, but you can do it. So if there are things that you need to do to advance your career, figure it out. And if and put people in your life who are willing to help you figure it out, whether that's watching your kids or writing a letter of recommendation or giving you advice on what courses to take or what professional development to go to. Don't turn down opportunities because you don't feel worthy of them. You are. Amen. That's the biggest yeah. one, right? I, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and I've talked about this on my LinkedIn quite a bit. You know, you talked about your brothers being very confident, you know, and I'm not saying that they're not confident, but I've, I've jokingly uh-huh. said that if I had a dollar for every guy who was confident, uh, confident, <laughs> but was actually mediocre and a dollar for every woman who thought she was mediocre, but was actually uh-huh. very confident, uh-huh. I'd be a very wealthy man. You know what I mean? You, you and, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, and and it's I don't know it's it's a biological thing it's how we're raised I don't know but you know my my boys they have only ever seen their mom as a city manager this is all they know and so it's it's nothing for them to hear me on the radio or see me on TV or see me speak at events in fact they probably get tired of it now but sometimes you got to be willing to be an example too and I've been fortunate to have really great supporters in my life, male and female, um, who have pushed me, who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And so I try to, I try to give that back both to men and women that I, that I work with, that I come in contact with. I I try to share opportunity. Hey, I think you'd be really great at this, or you should really consider attending this. I, I think you'd find value in it because that's, that's how we all get better. Right. What has been your most enjoyable or fascinating aspect or what has been the most enjoyable or fascinating aspect of being the first ever city manager for Watertown, South Dakota? Oh, gosh. It's the people. I stepped into an organization that culturally, I don't want to say that it was toxic. I think that word gets thrown around a little too much. Yeah. Um, But it was a very challenging environment for people to work in. The internal environment was challenging. The external environment was challenging. I was a little nervous about stepping into an organization like that. How am I going to be received? How well am I going to work with the department heads? And and I wasn't worried about the council because I've built relationships with councils before. I was really concerned about staff. Um, and partly, uh, you know, one of my um, strongest competitors for this job is my public works director. And uh, I was a little oh, you had, afraid. Oh, you had, you had internal yeah, competition for I it, did. Huh? I did. Oh, and, okay. and I was really afraid that um, he was either going to be a real jerk to me or he was going to leave, uh, which neither right. one would be very helpful. And he's, and he's so. been awesome. I mean, yeah. we, we, we think alike. We work alike. He was the only person at the time who'd ever worked for a city manager. Um, so he's, he's been a real lifesaver in some cases. But this these people that I get to work with exceeded all of my expectations. They really have embraced the city manager form of government, even if they don't understand it or even agree with some of it. They've embraced me personally. And I see a difference, and I didn't know any of these people before I came, 
uh, in how we communicate and how, um, you know, it's, it is much more of a team environment than it was when I started where we were very, well, this is my department. This is what I do. Uh, there's still work to be done on that for sure. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, I've said this since I started, like I, I got so fortunate to have the team that I have um, when I walked in the door, because I don't think we would be as successful in this transition if, if I didn't, they, they are, they are the reason that I keep showing up some days, <laughs> you know, yeah, some days no. are hard. So yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, those are the ones that are in the trenches with you. Right. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's very frustrating because you can feel, we talked about this job being a very lonely job at times, uh, on yes. LinkedIn and other, other, mm-hmm. and other podcasts, because obviously you're, you're the, you're at the top of the hierarchy, right? You're yeah. at the top of the pyramid yep. and uh, it can be definitely challenging in that regard. Um, I will say, you know, um, I think we talked about this in the pre pre-interview chat, we first came into each other's orbit uh, because I posted a, something on LinkedIn and you reach, uh, posted something <clears throat> that turned out to be about a person that you know, a close oh, person, yep. a close friend of yours or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the most glowing article about this person. And you reached out to me. It was the first time we'd ever chatted and you were uh, very empathetic and, and you were a good friend and you were mm-hmm. uh, give me a little bit more of a context to the situation. And I was really impressed by that, uh, Amanda, because not only did your empathy come through and you know your loyalty to your friend, but you also didn't try to manipulate me in any way or try to you know coach me to do anything or say anything. Mm-hmm. You were just trying to give me a little more context. Mm-hmm. And, and I followed you now for several months because that was going back to March of, of, of this year. Uh, and I followed you for um, your activities in Watertown for, for many months now. And I've seen your, your radio interviews. And you just always struck me as a very sincere, very direct person. And uh, those are those are two traits I, I admire greatly, and I love the fact that um, you didn't try to manipulate me or work me in any way. And and I I admire that even more so now that I know that you have a political background because. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, oh, well, but thanks. I can but yeah. I can tell you're a class act, and uh, and I'm really grateful for you to come on to this podcast and talk about it. Uh, like I said. Oh. Uh, you're in a very unique and tough, challenging situation to be a first-time city manager. And, uh, you know, those pop up from time to time. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know what, do I have the guts to step into that role? And i got to be honest, Amanda, I'm not sure I would have stepped into those roles yeah. because that's a, it's a very, uh, it's a, this job's a tough job under ideal circumstances. And there's no way anyone could ever say that being the first city manager in a community is an ideal circumstance, right? You know, going right. into that, there's going to be challenges, you know? Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, uh. I came to a realization several months ago, and I'm kind of ashamed that it it hadn't dawned on me sooner than that. So yes, being the first city manager in any community is very hard. You know who has an equally difficult job? The mayor. Yes. The mayor in a new form of government. And and the other elected officials to some extent, but... You know, everybody gives a city manager a lot of grace because they don't really know what a city manager does. And yeah, let's go do it. And the council is what the council is. But, you know, for 100 years, this community has had a strong mayor and they are used to the mayor calling the shots and, you know, being at the office every day and answering every phone call. And there were some things that had happened. We were just some stressful stuff. And I was like, he has as hard of a job as I do because yeah. everybody has an expectation of what how the mayor is supposed to operate. And changing that is so difficult. And Amanda, he, he doesn't have the ability to just flip a switch and, and make the things happen now, right? Right. Because I right. mean was your was is your mayor, was he the mayor under the old form and then had to make no. the adjustment or no, he was a uh he'd been on the council for two years before okay. becoming mayor. 
but he grew up here, so he's lived yep. here his whole life. Yeah. yeah. And everyone yeah. knows, man, you just call the mayor, right? The mayor That's, makes it happen. I know. Yeah. Everybody calls the mayor. Yeah. Um, and, and it is difficult for elected officials because I have, let's see, one, two, three, I have four, including the mayor on the council now, who served under the old form. And and they've been great. I mean, we've had our we've had our hiccups and and road bumps, but but overall it's it's been fine. But expectations of the community, especially for elected officials, play a big role in how they operate and what's important to them. And and so helping them navigate through that is a challenge that I don't know that I was prepared for because I'd always worked in communities that had managers before. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Okay, Amanda, we're about the hour mark here. We're going to wrap up the conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. Is there any final words or thoughts you'd like to leave with the audience? Um, I guess I would just just end with, uh, you know, the team that you surround yourself with is paramount to your success. And your success is paramount to the council's success, which is paramount to the community's success. I had to make some tough calls when I started um, about people in, in different positions and the way we were operating around some things. And that's hard when you're new and you're dealing with people who've been here maybe their whole careers or who've, who have operated the way that they, they've always known. Um, but you got to do what you know is right for the organization and let the chips fall where they may. And that's easier said than done. I recognize that. But if you've got people around you who are committed individuals, committed public servants, who are not only dedicated to the community that they serve, but who understand your vision for the organization, it's going to be a lot easier than trying to push people into roles or into projects or into functions that they are fundamentally opposed to. Um, so that that would be my uh, just a word of advice to not just new managers, but managers in, in general. Got to have good people around you who support you as the leader. And support doesn't mean agree with all the time. Right. Um, but right. who understand that at the end of the day, you call the shots and they want to make sure that you're calling the right shots. Absolutely. And you know, something I talk about with my subordinates in previous Mm -hmm. positions is I'd say, you know, my success is your success and your success is my success. And I think also it's important that we as managers, when we ask our subordinates, our direct reports to, to basically make the sacrifices needed to better the organization, that we also go out of our way to make sure that we are lifting them up and giving them the shine that they need and deserve so that Mm -hmm. as we succeed and we are prospering within the organization, that those who are helping us get to those heights are also prospering and prospering and benefiting within the organization too. And, uh, and so, yeah, so yeah, our success is their success and their success is our success. And I can imagine that you had some interesting challenges. We won't get into that today. Yeah, with podcast, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but that'll be know. for the, uh, off the record. Yeah. Podcast, there you go. Right? <laughs> there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I told, I told my <laughs> friends, I, was coming on, <laughs> I know I was coming on the, the city manager unfiltered podcast. They're like, uh-huh. well, don't swear. I do have a swearing problem and I can't believe I haven't said something that I shouldn't have. So I'm glad I behaved myself. Oh, well, I've gotten in trouble for that before. So you're, this is a safe space for swearing. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not to your, uh, to your, to your, uh, to your citizens or residents who might listen to the podcast, but, uh, but yeah, but Hey Amanda, I really enjoyed uh, having you on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, Amanda Mack, Watertown, South Dakota city manager, looking to be there for many, many years to come. I wish you continued success and prosperity there for you as personally, professionally, as well as your community. And uh, thanks for being on. 
Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. I'm Joe Turner. This is the City Manager Unfiltered Podcast, a podcast for city managers and other public sector executives. If you like the show, please hit that subscribe, follow button. Please leave a rate and review on your platform of choice. And thank you for listening. Until next time. Peace.